Amen. Thank you. We got all sorts of stuff we're doing today to remember that we are working together, not against each other. And I really didn't do all that on purpose. It just came to me, and I love it. But if you could uh, bring up my first sermon slide here, we're going to get started from Galatians chapter 2, verse 11 to 21. And I do have it up on the board today for you, as long as my remote works. Let's see here. There we go. Galatians 2, 11, I'm sorry, to 19. And if you could please, if you're able, let's stand as we read together. We're going to get right into it today. Galatians 2, verse 11 to 21 says this, But when Cyphus came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face, because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, for before certain men came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles, but when they came, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him, <coughs> so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. But when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cyphus before them all, <coughs> excuse me, if you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? We ourselves are Jews by birth. <coughs> Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law. Because by works of the law, no one will be justified. But if in our endeavor to be justified in Christ, we too were found to be sinners... Is Christ then a servant of sin? Certainly not. For if I rebuild what I tore down, I prove myself to be a transgressor. For through the law, I died to the law, so that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. Thank you. You may be seated. <coughs> and please forgive me, I'm not getting choked up already. I've been dealing with a little bit of cold, and I feel I'm on the last day of it, but it just wants to hold on a little bit. That or Satan's trying to get in the way of the gospel today. Today... We come back to our series in Galatians. A thought of plus nothing grace, that it is by the grace of God that we are saved. It is plus nothing. Nothing else can take the place of grace. We cannot add anything to it. And we should not want to, because we can never add enough to save ourselves. It's only by the grace of God that we are saved. And the more we try and add to grace, or the more that we try and add things which take the place of grace, the more it separates us from God, the more it distances us from God, the more it offends God, as if we could ever do enough to do anything to earn God's favor. It's hard for us to understand, I know it is, because we think that we need to do better, we need to do this, we need to do that, we want to try and earn our own way into heaven. 
We want to think that we are in control of our lives, but we're really not. And the sooner we realize that we're not in control, God is in control, it will really help us. <coughs> it will help us as we realize that we are sinful. And maybe that's a hard word for you. It's a hard word for some people. It's okay. We are sinful. Well, we also struggle. We're weak. But in all our ways that we are weak, God is still strong. God is perfect. He's all-knowing, all-powerful, and he is everywhere. And that is the person, that's the God who is in control of your life. That should bring you great comfort. That is the truth. That is the gospel, the gospel of grace. We must believe in the truth. We must believe that it is plus nothing. We need salvation. And let me help, help you to understand this with an illustration this morning that I found. It says this. The difference between righteousness by works and righteousness by grace is illustrated by a ride on a commuter train. Now, I hope this helps you. I've been on trains. I don't know how many of you have, but let me read this to you. It says this. A train rumbles into the station with warning bell clanging. The doors open, the uniformed conductor steps out, and you climb on board and find your way to a seat. When you look around the car, you see tickets clipped on top of the occupied seats, paid for with hard-earned money. Those tickets displayed at each seat are the special concern of the conductor, who walks through the car to punch tickets and confirm that you paid for the right to take this ride. If the conductor finds you without a ticket, you either pay on the spot or be escorted off the train at the next stop. To ride this train, what matters most is that paid ticket. This is righteousness by works, that we are earning our own way on that ride through purchasing a ticket and putting it up for the conductor to punch and not losing that ticket also, or we could be kicked off. Righteousness by grace, on the other hand, works in a very different way. God's train pulls into the station, warning bell clanging. The doors open and the conductor steps out. Masses of people crowd on board and find their seats. For most everyone wants to ride this train to the city where people never die. Eventually, the conductor walks through the train to see if everyone belongs on board. But on this train, the conductor is not looking for tickets clipped to the top of the seats. In fact, anyone who tries to pay for the right to be on the train will be escorted promptly from the train at the very next stop. That's right, no one can earn the right to be on this train. What the conductor looks for as he walks seat by seat through the car is the penniless people he knows by name, the people who are his friends and who completely lack the means to pay. These poverty-stricken people climb on board with only one hope. They believe in the, gener the generosity of their conductor friend. This is the righteousness by grace. A ride on God's train is a gift. By our standards, it's unfair, it's scandalous, but like it or not, it's heaven's way. A ride on God's train is something which we cannot pay for ourselves. We needed Christ Jesus to pay for for us. It's something we can't earn on our own. We only earn through with that free gift of Christ. Now back to Galatians chapter 2, verse 11 to 19 Today's scripture is a bit hard to address and even harder to understand. You see, it has to do with this very topic of grace. A system of works versus a system of grace. Here we have what is referred to as many as the darkest of days in the history of gospel, of the gospel. It's referred to as some 
by something which, if it was to happen today, might be considered scandalous or quite unspeakable. In fact, some people in the church today might, might condemn me for even speaking of what I'm about to speak about, for condemning or, or saying that somebody, an apostle of Jesus Christ, was doing something wrong. In this day and age, you might walk through the checkout lines at Walmart or at Festival Foods, at your local grocery store, at Shaddix, and if this was to happen, you might see this on all those rumor or gossip magazines. There's things which just love to spread the news when something big happens. As you might see it plastered all over the front page saying, Paul confronts Peter. Paul confronts Peter. You see, people love to focus on these negative things, don't they? Sometimes this is hard. Sometimes this is easy for us to focus on. You see, people, good people, still fall down sometimes. Sometimes good people still fall down. Sometimes this is you. Sometimes it's a friend. Sometimes it's somebody you look up to, like Peter, a pillar of the church, a rock, would fall down from how he should be living. Maybe it's a mom, a dad, a mentor, a leader in the community. Dare I say, maybe it's a politician not living according to what he told you he would, or not living according to God's will, which is ultimately what he should be doing. But today we're talking about Peter, or more specifically, Paul confronting Peter for being a hypocrite. More on this in a few minutes. I want to note, as I already mentioned, that Peter is referred to in Scripture, and right here is Cyphus. But either way, Peter in Greek means the same as Cyphus in Aramaic. Peter is said to mean rock. And Jesus said that Peter would be the rock of the church. The rock that the church would need, and yet we see that Peter, this man, often is weak. He often stumbles as he's trying to glorify God with his life. He's trying to hold up that roof of the church. He stumbles, and that's what we see today. G Peter does not live how he should. Jesus himself, when he first called Peter to be his disciple, gave him a new name. And as we, as we know from Scripture, this signifies a new role or significance in the person. Let me read this to you from Matthew 16, 16 to 19. It says, Simon Peter answered and said, Thou art Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, saying, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, because flesh and blood has not revealed it to thee, but my Father who is in heaven. And I say to thee, Thou art Peter. And upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it, and I will give to thee the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatsoever thou shalt bind upon earth, it shall be bound also in heaven. And whatsoever thou shalt loose on earth, it shall be loosed also in heaven. Now back to today's scripture. If you remember the last time we reread in Galatians, and this was the end of November. So it's been a while as we took a break from this plus nothing series. We read that Paul went before what we said the pillars of the faith. Paul went before Peter and the other pillars, the other apostles, and he got <coughs> his ministry approved in a way. He defended his ministry as he went before them and told them the calling that God gave him, how God ordained him to this ministry. And these pillars approved it. But here we have Peter needing to be confronted by Paul because he's not living according to the very ways that they approved. 
They agreed with Paul's mission and practice of presenting the gospel as being saved by grace, as being a mission to the Gentiles and not just to the circumcised party, not just to the Jews. But now in verses 11 to 19 of chapter 2, we see things have flip-flopped. They have flip-flopped like a flip-flop grill with pieces of chicken, and they're now starting to be charbroiled on the wrong side. Now, that's not like flip-flop chicken. We want it to be charred on both sides, right? But follow with me. You see, Peter was, was on one side. Christ came. He's on the other side. And all, now all of a sudden, he's, he's wanting to say that he's living according to these new ways. But if you look at his life, he's really starting to flip-flop back and forth, depending on who he's standing in front of. I really think he obviously agreed with Paul and his mission from God. But what we see now is he's going to start living a different way when different people walk before him. He may have started to live right, but now he has certain Jews, certain people walk in front of him, and he starts to put on a show. He compromises himself. He compromises his beliefs. Peter starts to place barriers between himself and the very people that he was supposed to be ministering to. And with doing that, he's also placing barriers between how close he could be with God. He was distancing himself. You see, when we live according to a workspace system, we distance, our, distance ourselves from God. When we live according to a workspace system, we distance ourselves from the way that God wants us to live. We distance ourselves between having the true, deep relationship with him that we can. We distance ourselves because we think we're strong enough to do it all on our own. We distance ourselves because we, we're not looking to God in our weakness or our, our strength. We're only looking to him when, when we think we need him. We need Christ every single day. This brings out a great point. Never look up to people more than you look up to God and his word. Never look up to people more than you look up to God and his word. Peter compromised his beliefs, and he did not stand for truth. You cannot have both a system of works and a system of grace, because they work against each other. Barclay states this, there are two great temptations in the Christian's life. Number one, there is a temptation to try to earn God's favor. And number two, there is a temptation to use some little achievement to compare oneself with our fellow man to our own advantage and their disadvantage. Either way are not honoring to God. Either way does not work. And either way is not true of Christianity at all. For neither way is focused on Christ. We must focus on Christ. The funny thing about grace is that it has nothing to do with your own efforts. It has everything to do with Jesus. It has everything to do with God. We need to believe in the effort of Christ, not the effort of our own selves. The only effort that we can believe in with ourselves is the effort that we give to submit ourselves to him. Peter gave in to peer pressure, though. He acted differently when in the presence of someone else. See what I meant here? Some people might con condemn me for speaking badly about Peter. But Peter here needed to be confronted he was not living as God would have him to be lived. And as we read there in the very beginning, let me read this again just to refresh your memory a little bit. It says this, But when Cyphus, Peter, came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. 
For before certain men came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles. But when they came, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. He acted differently in the presence of these Jews which came in, these Jews which claimed to be from James. He was eating with the Gentiles. He was taking place, taking, uh, he was living life with them, as we should be living life with one another. But then once this one person came into the picture, he ignored them. He walked away from them. And I don't know, maybe this was a gradual thing. Maybe it was immediate. He heard them come. He, he saw them coming, and he, he all of a sudden kind of turned his back on everybody. We don't really know, but what we know is he was doing something wrong. In this, I kind of feel like I'm a youth pastor again, because as a youth pastor, I spoke a lot about peer pressure. You see, teens were always saying, don't give in to peer pressure. While you're in school, you need to live according to what you know what, what is right, according to God's word. Don't do what you think is wrong just because you want to impress somebody. You ever noticed in the church, though, we don't talk too much about peer pressure with adults. We need to talk about peer pressure today, too. You see, we adults need to hear about this because we, we give in far more than we would like to admit. We try and impress other people with our actions far more than we should. Instead of living and standing true to God's word, we compromise. We compromise in many ways. Some severe, some not. Maybe they're little things. But here, Peter was doing something great. He was eating together with these people, living life with these new believers, these Gentiles. And then all of a sudden, he started acting differently. He gave in to this peer pressure. Maybe these people came in, and he was, he was doing right at first, but then these people came in and they said, Peter, why are you doing this? We come in the name of James, which I'll mention. Most commentators, most pastors believe that this was a false claim <clears throat> because we know both Peter and James had left this old system of works of the law. So they really were not coming in the name of James. They were liars. They were false teachers. They were trying to lead people away from this new system of grace. Maybe... They came in slowly, and they, they saw Peter doing this. And they said, Peter, what are you doing? You, you shouldn't be doing this. And slowly but surely, Peter gave in. He gave in to peer pressure. Peter became a hypocrite. Now, I should probably specify what a hypocrite is, because it's specifically used in God's word here. A hypocrite is someone that says one thing but does another. A person who acts in contradiction to his or her own stated beliefs or feelings. It's somebody who says one thing on a Sunday morning, but then lives differently the rest of the week. <clears throat> and the world looks for that, and they try and slam it in our face. That's why we need to live like Jesus. We don't need to impress other people. We need to impress God. But we need to impress God with knowing that we're never going to impress him to earn our own faith to earn our own salvation. We're just doing it because we want to impress him, because we appreciate all that he's done for us through the cross, all that he's done for us through Jesus, something that we did not deserve, and he gave us so freely anyways. Here's the point. People will let you down. We will let ourselves down. Peter, an apostle of Christ, was letting God down here. He was letting Paul down. He was letting the Gentiles down as he was acting like he was better than them and couldn't eat with them any longer. How do we get past this? 
How do we avoid this? We must confront the problem. We must confront sinful actions. Confront it to its face, just as Paul did. Paul states very, very bluntly, very sternly, that he confronted him to his face. But in doing so, we need to look to God for wisdom and guidance. Never allow your emotions to control you. When you confront a problem, never confront it in your own strength. Confront it in the strength of God. Use his wisdom, use his guidance, allow the spirit to guide you. Focus on God and his grace, and most importantly, focus on what matters, Jesus. Is what you're doing and is how you're confronting this problem honoring to him? Or is it honoring to you? Is your pride hurt, so you're confronting somebody because you feel hurt? You feel angered, you feel frustrated, you feel saddened? Or are you confronting a problem because you know that this is how God would want it to be? We need to look to God. We need to make sure that the problems we're trying to confront and how we're confronting them are being done in a way which honors God, which glorifies him. Which glorifies him in the same way that he served us by sending his son, sacrificing him on the cross, himself on the cross, when we did not deserve him. God gave us his everything. We need to give him our everything. We need to never give up, but continue to push on, continue to look to him. Look to his example. Glorify him in your actions. Just a few verses before today's scripture, Peter is referred to as one of the pillars of Christianity. He was a rock on which the roof of the church would stand. He was one trusted by Jesus in establishing and supporting the church. But here is, he is dividing the church. He's, in a way, being hypocritical. I, I truly believe he knew what was right, but he's still in action, allowing it to be that the Jews will eat here, the Gentiles will eat here, and they cannot come together. He went back to the old ways of being separated from the Gentiles. Now, I do not know who these people were, these Jews, but I do know the basics of the setting. Let me summarize this a little bit for you. And in summarizing it, I want to talk just a little bit about why this might have happened. Peter comes to Antioch to visit with Paul in this new and first of the Gentile churches. He's eating with them, probably taking part in the feast or celebration. Now, <clears throat> my research tells me that this feast, this celebration may have been called an agape, or love, feast. And it is when all would come together and share their food and eat with one another. Now, we today, especially in this Baptist church, we call this a potluck. Or some may call it a pot blessing. And I don't know about you, but I love these meals. I love when we come together and we eat together. And we lift up one another and we just have fellowship together. It's great, isn't it? It's great that we can come together and put all of our differences aside and just come together in that one thought that we are all fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. We're family. We can eat and we can talk. We can laugh. We can love as we focus on Jesus. Peter came into town and began eating and spending time with these people just like that. And this may at first sound great. And it was great. But at this time, this was something new, you see. 
Because this whole people, this whole nation, this whole culture was used to the old ways. And the old law for centuries prohibited Jewish believers from eating, from communing together with the Gentiles. For even spending time with them. Because the Jewish law would try and protect the people from being influenced by the Gentile gods or just Gentiles' ways. They even had special dietary restrictions, which again, hence, is why they shouldn't be eating with them. But when Jesus came, he put all that aside. They didn't have those dietary restrictions anymore. And moving on now, we see at some point during this meal, Peter's eating with these people, he's communing with these people, and these Jews came into the picture claiming to be from James. Again, I, I say claim because I don't think they really were from James. Or they would know that this is okay. Just as Peter knew it was okay, but Peter gave in and compromised. Nonetheless, Peter wanted to appear to be like them. Peter wanted to, to um, he didn't want to offend them. Or he didn't want to, maybe he was afraid of them. He didn't know what they would do to him. Or maybe they, he was afraid of the fact that he may not be as popular with the Jewish community if he didn't hold up to their expectations. We don't really know exactly what his thought process was. What we know from Scripture here is, and I'll read it straight from Scripture, it says, For before certain men came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles. But when they came, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. We don't know what he feared. We don't know if he feared for his popularity. We don't know if he feared for his life. We don't know if he feared of offending them. But what we do know is he compromised. This pillar of our faith, a rock, would fall. People will let you down. You will let other people down. You will let God down. Even pillars or rocks may every once in a while be pushed into a rock slide. Catch that? Even pillars, even rocks may fall down. Even rocks may be pushed into a rock slide. Have you ever driven by the highways through the hills, through the mountains, and there's a sign saying, warning, rock slides, warning, rocks may fall, warning, rocks may stumble? I don't remember the exact wording. But what I know is this. Often in that area, you'll see some extra guardrails. You'll see some extra barriers. We need to make sure we don't put barriers up in our life which keep us away from God, which keep us away from God's calling. But we need to put barriers, guardrails up in our life which protect us from Satan and keep us to God's calling. People who you think of as leaders or as people who have everything together may still be led astray. We too need barriers. They need barriers. Paul confronts Peter here. And that's okay. We all need to be confronted every now and then. What do you do to avoid compromising your faith? What do you do to get through these times? What do you do when this happens? We need to have barriers. We need to have guardrails. We need to have other people in our life which aren't afraid of confronting us. That's hard because we're prideful. And I think it's okay. I think we need to admit that sometimes. We have a lot of pride in our life, and we don't want to let people in. We want to let them in as long as it helps make us look good, it makes us laugh, it makes us feel happy inside. But we don't want to meet with somebody, hey, at a men's breakfast next Saturday, and really just ask these men, how are you doing in life? 
And when somebody really says, oh, I'm doing great, we avoid asking that next question. How are you really doing? How are you doing reading your Bible? How are you doing praying to your Father in heaven? How are you doing with your wife? How are you doing with your kids? How are you doing living up to being the man that God wants you to be? Now, it's easy for me to pick on men. Women, you can pick on yourself, right? But it, it applies the same way. We need people like Paul in our lives to confront us. And we need to be like Paul. And we need to confront other people. More on this in a few minutes here. But here's another reason we must confront problems. You must not ignore problems because they will continue to grow. And eventually, it may seem impossible to handle, and we may seem like we may feel like we need to give up. Not just this, but eventually, it may lead other people astray. This tells us that in verse 13, that the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him, so that even Barnabas, Barnabas was led astray by the hypocrisy. We need to make sure we live as Christ, because we do not want to lead other people astray. We need to guard ourselves, put up barriers. Not barriers which keep us away from God and his will, but barriers which keep Satan away. Barriers which keep an old way of the law of works out of our life and helps us focus on the grace that God provides. Do not try and handle or confront problems in your own ways or ways which dishonor God. Always look up to God as you confront problems. Always submit yourself to him and his will. Sometimes this does mean you don't do it right away. I have a feeling Paul, he confronted Peter to his face in that situation right there in front of everybody because this was a public problem. Peter was, was causing dissension. He was causing a division uh, at this mill, and Paul confronted it to his face. He didn't take him aside because everybody needed to know this is not right. Sometimes we need to do that. But most of the time, we need to take a moment so that we don't let our emotions control our confrontations. We don't allow our emotions to control our actions. We need to take a moment and focus on God. Ask him for wisdom and guidance. Get godly counsel. Look to your accountability people we just talked to. Look to God's word. Look to prayer. And look for God's help in confronting the problem. That's not an excuse to ignore the problem. It's not an excuse to just wait and let it go away on its own. And sometimes it will. Sometimes you just pray for God to take care of this problem. That's okay. But don't allow it to grow. Don't allow it to lead others astray. Make sure you're thinking clearly. You see, we just talked about a new year last, last week and a new you. Leaving the old behind in 2018 and moving into the new year you of 2019. We know that we have a future with Christ to look forward to. We talked about that this morning with communion, didn't we? We get to proclaim that we have a future because of the blood spilt, because of the new covenant. But let me tell you something else about this future. And actually, I want to read a little more to you. So 2 Peter chapter 3, if you want to open up there, you can, or I'll read it to you. But 2 Peter chapter 3, I was going to focus on verse 14, but I want to read just a bit more. I'm going to start at verse, the end of verse 9. Verse 9 in 2 Peter chapter 3 says this. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, 
not wishing that any should perish, but all should each receive repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a war, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening the coming of the, Lord, of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn? Verse 13, But according to this promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Verse 14, Therefore, beloved, since you are waiting for these, be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish and at peace. Therefore, beloved, since you are waiting for these, be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish and at peace. The scripture goes on to give us great wisdom, but today I'm focusing on that as we start to wrap up here. Be diligent to be found by him without blemish and at peace. Peace with Jesus. Peace with God. John MacArthur states, When Christ returns, each Christian should be found enjoying the peace of Christ, which knows no warrior fear about the day of the Lord or the judgment of Christ. To have this peace means that, that as a Christian, we should have a strong sense of assurance of our salvation and a life of obedience to him. Do you know this peace? Do you know the peace of Christ? Because Jesus Christ, submitting your life to him, submitting your struggles to him, your problems to him, submitting to him in your weakness and your strengths, is the only thing which truly brings peace. Submitting to him is the only thing which truly helps you to move forward. The only thing which helps you to look in the, to the future with happiness, with joy. Of knowing that we're, meant not, we're not meant to live alone. We're not meant to be hopeless. We're meant to live together as fellow brothers and sisters with Christ. With Christ Jesus, we have life and we have peace. But the scripture also says, be spotless or without blemish. Christians should be of good, godly character and reputation. Not like a false teacher, not like Satan, not like the world or the demons living for yourselves and leading other people astray. We should be living for God and leading people to him. Going back to our main scripture of Galatians 2, 11 to 19, we have a few great points for how to live our lives as believers in Christ Jesus, as believers of grace. Looking to both the example of Peter and Paul, Paul confronting Peter, we have number one. These are going to be really easy. You're going to laugh at how easy it is. Number one. Something to not do. Do not be a hypocrite. Do not be a hypocrite. I don't want to overcomplicate it. Do not be a hypocrite. Don't say one thing one day and live a different way. Be a Christian. Have that peace of Christ. Submit yourself to him. And live according to his ways. Number two, something to do. So number one was something to not do. Do not be a hypocrite. Number two is something to do. Stand up against wrongfulness. Stick up for yourself, but also stick up for others. 
do not compromise. Help yourself. Do not compromise. Help others. Do not compromise. How can we spread the gospel? How can we make disciples? How can we love our neighbor as we love ourselves if we never go near these people? How can we do God's work if we continue to compromise in ways which are not according to his will? Today, as we took communion together, we did it together. We do not separate ourselves from others based upon the basis of Jewish and Gentile laws, but there is much in our lifestyles that is not in line with the truths of the gospel. This too is hypocrisy. If you claim to follow the Savior, you should be striving to live like the Savior. If you're taking notes, I want you to write that down. That's important. If you claim to follow the Savior, you must be, you should be, striving to live like the Savior. Forgiving one another as Christ forgave us. Laying your life down for others as Christ laid himself down for us. As one pastor states, do not preach to deliver good news to the poor and powerless, yet ignore the, the poor and the powerless when you're on the street. Do not say to love your neighbor, but then speak evil upon your neighbor or ignore their needs. Do not preach to be thankful for the forgiveness that Christ gave you, but not then be willing to forgive others and show them the forgiveness that Christ gave you. Show them the hope that they can have. Do not compromise. Do not compromise in your godly obligations to yourself or others. Do not compromise. Draw closer to God. The gospel of grace must draw us together as believers and not further apart. There's too much dissension in Christ's body of the church. God's body of the church. We need to focus on the things that matter, the hills to die on. And let's focus on doing his work. God can, Paul confronts Peter. Paul goes on to write that we now know that a person is not justified by works, but through faith in Jesus Christ. Peter was allowing things to separate them, to divide them, when they should be working together, eating together, communing together, and remembering Christ Jesus together. Looking to the future, that new covenant together. You know, we all need this confrontation. We all need this reminder from time to time. We all need forgiveness, a reset, and here it is. Here it is today. Paul's example here is an example of true virtue, an example of boldness and liberty in holding true to the truths of God's word and reproving sin. And it's not easy to confront problems. It's so much easy, easier to just give up or to look to our emotions. But we need to be bold, just like Paul. We need to confront problems in a way that honors God, in a way that glorifies him, in a way that prevents people from leading astray from him. We need to focus on God's grace that he's given us. We need to focus on the grace that he has for other people. We are freed through grace. And as I wake you up, I want us to say that together. We are freed through grace. Let's say that together. We are freed through grace. Let's say that one more time, but look around the room. I want you to change it to you. You are freed through grace. You are freed through grace. Isn't that fun? See, us Baptists, we can speak too. We can say things. 
You are freed through grace, which all, with all that I just got done talking about, this should make us leap for joy. Because we are Peter. We fall down so much, and we're freed through grace. It doesn't take us out of God's eyes, out of God's salvation. We're freed through grace. None of us are perfect. None of us are without error. We will all sometimes be Peter. But let's also be Paul. Let's stand up for what's right and let's look to God. Let's look to grace. Praise God that we're freed through grace and let's focus on that today and every day. And as we close today, let's look to our life. Who needs to hear about God's grace? We're going to try and men's breakfast next Saturday and each month now to be purposed in doing those things. Let's pray together. Let's talk together about our lives. And let's look to that one question this next Saturday. Who needs to hear about God's grace? Is it you? Is it your family? Is it your friends? Is it your co-worker? Let's pray for them by name. And let's be purposed to live by grace and to tell people of God's grace. Let's remember that it is plus nothing that we're saved. And let me close in prayer now as uh, Dwayne and Dave come up to close us in a song. Please bow your heads. Lord God, we thank you for your grace, which is so free and forgiving. The grace which gives us hope and life, Lord. And I thank you for the grace of this body here in this church building. As they give me so much grace to sometimes preach longer than maybe I should. But Lord, we thank you for the, the freedom that you give us. And we look now to you today. We ask forgiveness for allowing our pride and our emotions to control us. For thinking that we can ever do enough to earn our faith or to earn your favor. May we just appreciate what you give us and may we live together and help one another through life's struggles. Thank you, Lord. And it's in your holy and powerful name we pray and we said together, amen. Stand and join me as we uh, close with my faith is fine.